0: I drink till I'm drunk, yeah. smoke till I'm high, yeah. castle on the hill, well, wake up in the sky, you can't, tell me I ain't fly. you can't tell me I ain't fly, I know I'm super fly, I know, I know I'm super fly, I know. the ladies love love you.
1: What's up? What's good with it, everybody? We back again for another episode of the Pick and Roll Podcast. And I must say that this past weekend has been phenomenal to me. But we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. First and foremost, Sam, what's up?
0: What's up, world?
1: We back for another episode, man. Let's dive right into it. Let's start off with our Pick and Roll Podcast Fan Poll of the Week. Now, for those of you who do not know, we always do a – or we try to weekly do a Fan Poll of the Week. And it ranges from just about anything. It's on our Facebook page and our Instagram page, which uh, has just newly been created. So if you can follow the Pick and Roll podcast, it's spelled the exact same way as on here. And uh, just find us on there. Or you can follow the hashtag, um, Pick and Roll podcast hashtag, and it'll lead you right to our post. But our fan poll of the week was, in both of their prime, who are you taking? Are you taking Prime Mello? As Carmelo Anthony or Prime Vince Sanity as in Vince Carter now the results came out, and they were sixty five percent carmelo thirty five percent Vince Carter, but the whole reason why we started this particular poll was because the initial conversation happened, and there was a lot of uh disrespect being shown toward Carmelo Anthony in this conversation, so I felt that it was only right for us to start the poll. And even though it did start out a little bit slanted toward Vince, it did round out and Carmelo took over. But Sam, what were your thoughts on that?
0: Man, I respect Vince Carter as a player. I think he was a great player. And he was also very influential as far as um, Canada becoming a a, a a player on the international scene as far as the NBA is concerned. Um, because Vince Carter is largely – um, responsible for the influx of Canadian players that we're seeing here recently. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot. Um, well, I would say 90, 95% due to Vince Carter. Like all of those guys will probably tell you that they grew up watching Vince Carter and loving Vince Carter. So, I mean, he, he was very influential. I don't want to sound like I'm taking anything away from Vince Carter here, but uh, I feel like it's slightly disrespectful for, for us to be comparing Melo to Vince <laughs> Carter, I mean, just to keep it a buck, th- this guy has averaged 20 points per game every year for his career besides, I mean, this year and last year. He's 20 every year. He's 20, let's see, 24 points per game for his career. Yeah. I mean, come on now. Come on now. And it's not like we're talking about um, – we're not comparing him to some great two-way player here. We're We're talking about another guy who was largely known for putting the ball in the bucket. And uh hold on, let's see what Vince Carter's 17 and a half. Like, come on, <laughs> baby. Come on, man. I mean, Vince Carter's got the longevity, but we talking about prime? Like it's to me that's not even a debate, but I mean, I guess clearly some people think it is. That's that's a fact and I agree
1: with you 100%. I um I've always been I guess one of the guys with the unpopular opinion that Vince Carter. Now, let me say this. Vince Carter is the greatest dunker we've ever seen. And that also does not take away from the talent that he possessed on the court. He was a very talented player, but I also felt like Vince Carter was very overrated. He's, he was an extremely overrated person because of how, uh, how exciting he was to watch and how electric electrifying he was like fast breaks. Anytime he got a chance to dunk, it was, everybody was tuned in and that's not to say that he's not a good player because he was Vince Carter was a a phenomenal player in this prime, But like you said, I don't think that it's much of a debate when it comes to that. I feel like people are, People are being blatantly. I don't even think it's borderline. I think it's blatant disrespect to compare these two in their prime. Carmelo is a guy that, in his prime, you compare him to other superstars, like guys who are, uh, I guess, upper echelon. And I don't consider, I, I consider Vince Carter more of a B list, uh, a B lister. Like yeah, Ray yeah, Ray he's, he's more in yeah. that light. I don't see him as much of an A-lister. And I'm not to say that Carmelo is, like, head and shoulders an A-lister over his career. But in his prime, I don't think it's debatable. In his prime, he's definitely an A-lister. Let's not forget that Carmelo was also a trendsetter at one point in time. He had everybody rocking the cornrows with the headbands when they was hooping. Carmelo was that guy. Everybody wanted to be Carmelo. He was phenomenal in college and coming straight into the NBA. And there were
0: there were actual debates of who was better between him exactly. and LeBron coming in. Exactly, and that just goes
1: to show how great he was.
0: To be honest, to be honest, the first maybe two years, maybe three, I think I might give the Carmelo
1: came into the NBA and hit the ground rolling. Not to say that LeBron didn't. But Melo just looked far more polished early on than LeBron did. Yeah, he he was the he was the more well rounded scorer, early definitely, most definitely. And I mean, like you said, let's take a look at the numbers, man. Melo has like you like you said, you said exactly what I was going to say. He's averaged twenty his entire career, uh, outside of these last two years, and.
0: Well, really, you can't even say two years. Last, last year, year and right, and
1: and the little portion of this year. And Vince hasn't averaged 20 since 2008, 2008, 2009. And, oh, <laughs> I mean, shit. hey, let's just call it what it is. And that's not to say that, you know, Vince is far, super far out of his prime, but that's eight years that's a long. That's that's ten years. I'm tripping. That's ten years. I mean, come on now, we can't we can't do that. And then if you want to talk to accolades, Vince Carter has only made two All NBA teams. He was a one-time All NBA second teamer and a one-time All NBA third teamer. Melo was a two-time All Second Team alone. So that already trumps what he was and. I mean, Carmelo, 10-time All-Star to Vince Carter's 8-time All-Star. And that even bodes, uh, I guess, that makes a stronger case for Carmelo, seeing as Vince Carter has had the longevity thing here. But um, I don't even, I think that that's even a stretch to say that he's got the longevity. I just think that Vince Carter is more of a person who can accept where he is right now as far as his career. So it helps him look better than what Carmelo does because we have that vision of Carmelo being that star. And Carmelo still has that vision for himself as being that star, not knowing that he's diminishing. If he were to take a lesser role and do what these teams are asking him to do, I don't feel like the longevity conversation would even be a debate because it's not a doubt that Carmelo can still hoop. He can still fill it up. But – I mean, I just I don't know. I I didn't really feel like this was much of a debate. I saw this post on want to say Facebook and I wasn't going to say anything until I saw everybody commenting Vince Carter. And I was like, hold on now. This is getting extremely outrageous. So I shared the post and then after I shared the post, tons of people on my post were saying Vince Carter. So I'm like, hold on. Am I missing something here? Am I am I being biased <laughs> in the fact that I believe Carmelo is better? Then I got to thinking, I'm like, nah, man. My basketball knowledge is way too high for me to be out here second-guessing whether Vince Carter in his prime was better than Melo. So that's why this poll came about. But, yeah, I believe it, it balanced out the way that it should. Carmelo's definitely the better player in his prime, and I don't think it's much of a debate. But let's get into um, something that, has been in the media for a while here. It's the Kevin Durant and Draymond Green saga. Now, we have a sound bite that you guys are going to hear that's from an interview with Kevin Durant and uh what was it? Chris Haynes. Chris Haynes. Yep, yeah, from, from Yahoo m-hmm. Sports. So, take a listen to the uh sound bite real quick. <laughs>
2: So regardless of you know what what was said, things went too far. You, you forget you forgave him. At that second, I at was that upset. Second,
0: is that right?
2: I was upset, but I know I can't hold on to something like this. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I know I know I know like I got to make a choice in myself. Like how long are you gonna be upset about this? To the point that are you gonna let this affect what you do on the floor, or how you approach the game? Once it gets there now, I gotta make a grown man decision and and tell myself that like, look man, no matter what, you still gotta come to work every single day. It's gonna work out. It's gonna figure itself out. And I think everybody's been handling it the best way they could. And we're just trying to move forward with it. And I never really felt like it was a problem. You know what I'm saying? Cause I know Dre and he yeah. says some crazy out of his mouth all the time. Yeah. But it's just the the fact that on top of that, it's just so much that was coming with it from the outside. I know, And so much stuff that we had to answer now. Mm -hmm. That That was the distraction. Yeah, like, all right, how about after shooting around? I mean, after the game against Atlanta, I'm like, I didn't talk after the game against the Clippers. During the game, I'm like, all right, I'm probably going to have to say something (laughs) about this. Why do I got (laughs) to think about that during the basketball game? Yeah, yeah all
1: right so after hearing that sound bite, sam what is your take from this do you think that everybody's blowing this out of proportion man i i believe so i think that it's uh i felt like it could have been deep but i felt like this was the first major thing we've seen as far as controversy surrounding this warriors team so, I feel like that's why I got blown out of proportion to the extent that it did, but what was your take on that after hearing that sound bite?
0: man, I love that sound bite because it it confirms literally everything that I said about it initially. I don't know if you got to pay attention to us in the did you see us talking about it in the group chat yeah i did i- yeah I did I saw that i sh- I said literally everything that Katie basically said I, <laughs> you were like i i I, I knew like. Yeah, Draymond said that crazy stuff, but KD knows who Draymond is. Everybody knows Draymond say disrespectful shit. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying he's that That's guy. what he is. He's that guy when he says something, you just don't pay him any mind. Like, you like, okay, bro. All right. All right, Draymond. Whatever. Like, you're not paying him no mind. And I also told people that KD knew that he wasn't going to be able to hang on to this too long. He wanted to win a championship just like everybody else on that team. It's it's bigger than KD. It's bigger than Draymond. They both know that. Like they was they was not going they was not going to let this stop them from winning a title. It just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, KD, KD literally said he he already was over it. I mean I'm sure he was still kind of a little upset about it, but as far as holding a grudge about it, that was over and done with in that moment. He's past that.
1: I agree, and I think that more than anything, this shows just how in tune this ball club is with one another as far as being on the same page and wanting to win a ring. Both guys know that this scenario or this situation could have been extremely huge um, for teams who don't have the chemistry that they have. But like you said, Kevin Durant knows Draymond, just like he said in that video clip. He knows who Draymond is. He knows that Draymond says stuff like that. So, the moment that he felt like it started to affect him on the court, it's like, all right, it's time. It's time to sit down and really get this out. Like let's let's get everything out the way that needs to be said, just so we, the air is completely clear and we can move forward and do what we're all trying to do here and win that championship. And that, to me, these particular instances make a team even more dangerous, if that's even possible for a team like Bro, the Warriors. That was
0: literally what
1: I was trying to tell
0: everybody. and They were like, no, no. It, this, this." I'm cool telling team, you, little man. things
1: like this really builds a team's chemistry. And when you have a team like the Warriors whose chemistry is already out of this world, something this small can completely change their season around. For everybody who's looking and paying attention to the standings, yeah, they're at the top, but they're not looking like a juggernaut. And granted, a lot of that happened because of this little debacle. And you saw how they were dropping games left and right. And now that everything has been out in the open and KD's had this this interview surfaced, you see what his play is looking like. What he have, 92 in two games? Yep. Crazy, most in his career. That's the most out of a two-game stretch that he's had in his entire career. So that just shows you, where these guys are at. Then you throw in to account that they don't even have their leader there. Like he's not – Steph is not playing with them right now, and it's looking like he's going to be back within these next couple of games. So with that being the case, goodness, I mean, this is the – like this couldn't have happened at a better time.
2: This whole uh,
1: situation couldn't have happened at a better time for them to hit the ground running and now
0: take over and fully dominate the West. And uh, other Warriors news – Boogie wants to play in two weeks, but the team's still gonna hold him out until after Christmas. But yeah, Boogie be back real soon.
1: Yeah, I I but, I didn't I don't expect Boogie to to be rushed back at all, especially with um no, with I just Steph this, just coming back.
0: I just I, seen this about like thirty minutes ago that he, he technically could be on the court in two weeks and that's when he wants to play, but they're gonna hold him out till probably it'll probably be sometime in January that we're gonna see Boogie. Yeah, I I uh I expect to see Boogie extremely close to All-Star break, maybe
1: like the uh last stretch right before All-Star break. I don't ex- expect to see him any sooner than that uh, mostly because we don't even know. We know he can possibly be cleared in 2 weeks, but we don't know what type of uh what type of reaction we're going to get or his body's going to have after playing. In an NBA game. Yeah, it's it's one thing to be able to do 5-on-5 five five at practice. But playing in an entire game, there's a lot more that you, you encounter.
0: So, even I don't when, well, even when Even when he do come back, he only going he probably start out playing 10-12 minutes. Yeah, I don't think it'll be slow. much. You ain't going to be able to tell how rusty he really is because they ain't going to play him too, too much. Yeah. Just want to get, get him back out there, getting in the flow of it. I agree. And
1: it's just – I feel like this uh, this boogie thing with the Warriors is like it's almost meant for them to go on and win another championship because they all have the same uh, vision, boogie included. Uh, that's from the head all the way down. Like uh, Steve Curtis said multiple times in interviews, this isn't something that we're looking to be long term we know we can't resign this guy at the end of the season we know we're not going to have the money to do it so this is all about making the most of this situation right now going out and trying to build both of our legacies let's get a ring for us let's get a ring for him before he leaves because we know he's not going to be here and for that reason I feel like they have the bigger picture in mind. they know that This isn't going to be a guy they're going to have around for a long period of time. So they're not even going to be in the – they're not going to be too caught up in we've got to rush him back to build chemistry with these guys because I don't necessarily believe that they care about that. I think that once he comes back, it'll just flow. I don't think it's going to be anything out of the ordinary. You're just adding another shooter to the court, like a shooter that's a big now that you can really play – all five out on a perimeter and still have Draymond on the court, but now Draymond's not your center. So, I mean, it's not, it's no different. The the scheme or anything isn't going to change. It's just going to make them even more dangerous, especially on the offensive end. But um, on to another topic, more controversy. Uh, this one was kind of uh, surprising to me. I didn't really expect either side to, I guess, have any type of ill feelings for one another, if if that is the case. That may not even be be the case, but um, I am referring to Greg Popovich and Kawhi. Now, for those who have been paying attention to the media, Greg Popovich came out and made a statement and said Kawhi was a great player, but he wasn't a leader or anything. Kawhi uh, fired back. He he had his... um, I guess his his thoughts about what Greg Popovich said, and he, for lack of a for lack of a better phrase, he didn't agree. He he didn't agree at all. He said, uh, "His statement was, and I quote: I heard about it. It's funny to me because you know I don't know if he's talking about last year or not. But I guess when you stop playing, they forget how you lead. Other than that, it doesn't matter. I'm here with the Raptors. My focus is on the season and not what's going on on the other side. Um, End quote. I guess to pick it back up, another quote that he said was in the same interview but at a separate moment. He spoke up by saying, I lead by example. Coming into practice every day, just going hard and coming into these games mentally focused. You can see things once you're playing on the floor. Guys ask me question, or excuse me, you can't see things once you're playing on the floor. Guys ask me questions about their matchup or if I see something on the floor, and I'm telling guys, go here, go there, just motivating people. You know what I mean? End quote. Now, is this a big deal? Was this a low blow? Uh, was Pop's comment a low blow? I feel like it, uh, it could be taken as a low blow, but seeing as uh, – Looking at Pop's track record, you've never heard of Pop having any uh, incidents or run-ins or anything, I guess, negative, negatively said about any previous player. This was probably the, probably the most negative comment we've seen come from Pop. And I don't necessarily believe <clears throat> it was a low blow. I do believe that this had a lot to do with the last season. I think yeah. if you ask Pop this question prior to all of that stuff that went on last season, he has a completely different response. But I feel like Pop definitely feels some type of way about the way Kawhi handled the situation last season. So yeah. it's sort of a jab, but I don't think it's anything super major. Now, I I think that Pop may he may be, there may be some truth to his statement about Kawhi not being a leader, and that's you have to think. Pop is a guy who's been around a guy like Tim Duncan for his whole career. So that's a natural born leader. He may. He's not. Spoiled. Yes, he's he's extremely spoiled. And the way that a Tim Duncan leads may not be the way a Kawhi leads. Now, as Kawhi said, I lead by example. I When I'm on a court, you can't see this or you can't hear this. But I am the vocal leader on the court. I'm telling guys what to do. I'm telling guys to go here and go there. That is a form of leadership most definitely, but that's not the type of leadership that Pop is used to, so it may not be necessarily true that Pop's saying he's not a leader. He's just not the type of leader that Pop is used to. What's your take on it?
0: Yeah, I mean, that that's literally exactly my take on it, I, and I feel like Kawhi handled it pretty well um, because he, he could have... I feel like he could have got smarter or said some, some other things, but I don't think that Popovich was really trying to throw a jab, really. I mean, we know Popovich to be a very blunt guy. So, I mean, with the way, with the sour taste he got in his mouth of Kawhi in last season, he probably, he felt like Kawhi wasn't being the leader by sitting out and worrying about his career over the team. Maybe he felt like that wasn't a leader move, and that's what he was saying. I, I can't see Pop throwing a low blow or a jab. And he also did say that Kawhi is a great player. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I don't think it was a low blow either. And I think that Kawhi showed that he doesn't have – like, he, he's not – him and Pop don't have the same relationship anymore, but he doesn't have any – no no bad feelings yeah, toward Yeah, no ill feelings toward Pop at all. It's, with a guy like Pop and what he's
1: done for a guy like Kawhi's career, I don't feel like you could. So, like you said, I commend Kawhi for being – Uh, as mature about the situation as he was because it could have went completely left field. He could have just aired out all the dirty laundry as to why he was doing what he did last season, but he didn't even give it the time of day. He made it simple and plain. He gave his response. I don't really agree. Um, That's how he feels. That's how he feels. As simple as that. I don't feel like – I feel like that's how most situations should be blown out of proportion and for the reason – or I feel like that's how most situations should be handled. And for the simple reason that this particular incident was handled in that way, you don't see it in the media as much as you would in other instances. This isn't even nearly as big as the Kevin Durant and Draymond drama. And I felt like it had the potential to be that, to be way bigger than that. But you get a guy, as we've said, like Kawhi who steps up and handles the situation the way that it needs to be that, it ends exactly when it starts. So I commend both sides for not making the situation any worse. I commend Pop for uh, voicing this opinion. If if he feels that uh, Kawhi's not a leader, he didn't bite his tongue by saying that, but he also didn't uh, disrespect Kawhi. He definitely made sure that uh, his statement went along with praise by saying how great of a player Kawhi was. He didn't call Kawhi a good player. He called him a great player and that that means a lot coming from a guy like pop who's been around greatness his whole career. So um I think that that both sides handled it handled it well and I don't think that it was a low blow by pop by no means. But um let's jump to college basketball now. Something that may not be, you know, too fun to talk about. I mean, for me personally I think it is. But A lot of people are going to like this <laughs> I agree. Um, our only college basketball topic of this particular episode, uh, we talk about Duke, as we do most times, but in this particular case, we're, we're not talking about how much of a juggernaut Duke is. We're talking about Duke losing to Gonzaga. Now, my question to you was, were we and the rest of the nation who doesn't hate Duke? Were we too high on the Blue Devils? Do we, did we come into the season believing that these guys were better than
0: they really are? Um, It's kind of tough for me to answer that with a straight yes or no because you got a lot of people who are talking about Duke going undefeated, which is just crazy to say considering they're playing in the ACC. Like, that – that if you're looking at it from that point of view, then, yeah, you're too high on Duke. Uh, undefeated season was just not going to happen, regardless of when the loss was coming. It was going to come. Those days but, are gone. Yeah. But I still feel like Duke is still the best team in the country. Um, just ran up against a very good – a great Gonzaga team with a ton of experience. Mm-hmm that was just more ready on that stage than the freshmen were. I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world. It's great experience for the young guys in the, in the tournament environment at that. So, it was it, it was good. It was it, it's not good cuz we lost, but it was good because there was still something to take from that game in a positive manner early in the season. I agree. I actually think it was 100% good. I would much
1: rather lose a game to a Gonzaga Um, And that element, obviously, I wanted to stay undefeated in the Maui as a Duke fan. But the uh, basketball fan in me uh, is happy that Duke lost for the simple fact that a game like this brings a team closer. So we could potentially see this matchup again come March uh, as a Final Four game or maybe even a national championship game. And it holds a lot more weight then because... You get a group of young Duke players who will have matured by that time, and now they're licking their chops at a veteran team that gave them their first loss that they're definitely going to look back on. Best believe that loss is going to be extremely personal for this Duke team for the simple fact that they had such high hopes on and, and this team, and this team was the only team to lose in the Maui. And to give Coach K his first loss in the Maui, I feel like that's going to weigh on them a bit. Like, damn, as great as we are, are we the only team that done lost in the Maui? Like, that's not going to sit well with them. And I, like I said, I'm I'm excited to see how this young bunch bounces back. One thing I do want to say about this game that I took from this game was that this is a strong ball club as far as the Blue Devils are concerned. I don't want that to... I don't want that to overshadow how great of a team Gonzaga is because like you said, they were by far the more experienced team. And that's what that was Dukes uh Achilles heel. I felt like with them being undefeated. I felt like the Achilles heel for a Duke team was to run into a team that's extremely talented, but also experienced. And that's exactly what Gonzaga was. they, they played phenomenal, especially in the first half. Now, you look at the second half and see how lopsided it was. Like, Duke really flexed its muscle in the second half, but they dug themselves
0: such a big hole in the first half. That that's what the experience showed. Exactly. In the first half, Gonzaga was, was ready. To Clicking play. on all cylinders straight from tip-off. They handled their, emotion, their emotions way better than Duke, and that's from experience. A game that big, they was just too jacked up. They came out trying to do too much. And Gonzaga was out there. They was patient. They were, they were running their stuff. They were getting great shots. They were hitting their shots. They were taking care of the ball. As opposed to what we were doing out there, we were just looking like like chickens with our heads cut off, really, most of the first half, honestly. I, I agree. I agree. But once we settled down, that's when, that's when the push came in the second half. But it was just too big of a hole to dig out of.
1: I felt like not only was it too big of a hole, I felt like Duke also showed its youth late in that game as well by not being able to get in the sets and not being able to find a way to get a bucket. Um, Gonzaga left the door open multiple times for Duke to come in and steal that
0: game. But the Blue Devils just couldn't pull it out. I'm going to do something you probably ain't going to ever hear me do. I'm about to be critical of the GOAT here. Oh. Man. I think this game was also an eye opener for Coach K. I think he got a little too complacent with just putting the ball. In talent, R- with putting the ball in RJ's hands, I agree. And 100%. Making plays because you got to draw something up when those, one of the at least one of those last three possessions. Coach I agree because I refuse to believe that you drew something up and they just didn't run it. I agree. I agree. One hundred percent. And and I just that's the only logical explanation I could come up with for why Coach K wouldn't draw something up there is just the simple fact that he really hasn't had to draw much up this year at all so far. So he's looking at it like R.J. can get to the rim whenever. I agree. I think that obviously – uh, go ahead. Granted, in Coach K's defense, R.J. has to make better decisions mm-hmm. with the ball in those moments because he, technically he did do whatever he wanted to do when at those, in those last possessions. He just didn't make the right decisions with the ball. Because one of them he had Trey wide open behind him in the, in the um, corner for three, mm-hmm. wide open. Uh, another one I think it was Zion wide open. I thought the, I thought the third one could have been called a foul, but at that point the ref's looking at you like you're trying to do too much.
1: Exactly, and we're not going uh, to be the cause for the outcome of this game. Plus, even on that last one, he also had uh, Javin open on a dunk down. With he, when he was trying to draw the foul. If he would have drove, the guy slid over that he drew the foul, tried to draw the foul on. Oh, that was Javin's guy. He could have either lobbed it or just bounced past his simple layup
0: wide open. Which is normally what he would do. I just.
1: I think he struggled so much in that game that he felt like, okay, coach has the confidence in me to, excuse me, to close this game out, so that's exactly what I'm going to do. Not knowing that him making the right play is the way to close the game out as well. That's that youth coming out of him. And I felt like <clears throat> you saw me in the group chat. I also said the same thing about Coach K. I would have liked to see plays drawn up in those last two possessions. I'll give RJ the first one, but seeing as how he has played the entire game, you give him that first one, if it doesn't go his way, all right, I understand, Let's let's draw something up. Even if it's just the last possession where you decide to draw something up. Either way, something has to be drawn up. I felt like that was Coach K basically turning the reins over to a guy like RJ saying, okay, well, let's see how great you really are. This is your opportunity to show just how great you are. The greats, the stars, the – I guess the LeBrons, the Colbys, the Jordans, those type of guys – uh the Kevin Durant, those guys, it doesn't matter. Steph Curry's, it doesn't matter how much they struggle. When it's time to win a game, they find a way to close the game out. They find a way to get that bucket that's needed. And Man, I-,
0: I just I just feel so bad over here. I just talk shit about Coach K, bro. I won't <laughs> take it back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here like, damn, man. No.
1: <laughs> but I don't even think it was so much of you talking shit. I think it was a valid, a valid point that a lot of other people are also trying to wrap their heads around. I don't think that anybody in their right mind is agreeing with the way that Coach K ended that game. Even though I don't put that solely on Coach K, I,
0: I understand where he was coming from, but I don't like the decision that he made. The reason why it's a slippery slope, is because if R.J. hits one of those shots, we having a different conversation. Yep. So it's like you kind of want to say draw something up. But like I said, at the same time, R.J. got to the rim all three of those times. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I would have still liked to at least, if you're not going to draw nothing up, see Zion get one of those touches.
1: Yeah, I agree. Zion – is one of those guys that you get him to the cup, he's either going to get a bucket or get fouled. I don't think that there's – the way that R.J. ended that game with him trying to draw that foul, that's a completely different play if it's a guy like Zion. You're not sliding over as confidently as the guy was for R.J. He's probably sliding over to maybe try to take a charge, not necessarily contest the shot, which makes it a lot easier for a guy like Zion to elevate – and do what he needs to do. He had done it pretty much multiple times throughout the night. You saw him avoid charges by literally elevating over top of the defender and just putting it in the basket.
0: But see, that's another thing, though. On the run, to come back, R.J. was like the catalyst of that, and he was getting to the rim at will.
1: Yeah, but a lot of it was in transition. You didn't see too too much of that happening in the half court set. Now, what I would have liked to see – is for you to take a guy like RJ and play him off the ball since he still demands attention. I would have liked to see you get the ball into a guy like Trey's hands and have him run something because Trey was extremely effective throughout that game. For people who didn't watch it from beginning to end, he was really the fire starter to that run on offense and on defense. He was getting into the paint making floaters, and he was knocking down a three ball effectively. He looked good. He looked. He probably had the best game out of all of the Blue Devils.
0: I, I thought his first half was a little mm, – I, I thought it was okay. I thought it was good. I think
1: the only bad part of his first half was that dunk, the fast break dunk that he missed. And that, I feel like that was being done to try to get some energy into his team. I feel like it was done with the right intent. He just
0: didn't convert it. I felt like he played phenomenal. His second half, boy, the the game in the in the whole, I'll give him an A. But I felt like his first half was just. It wasn't as good as the second in. half. I can agree yeah. with that. I can agree but with that one hundred percent. The last thing about RJ is that I've seen a lot of people saying he's a selfish player, and that is not the case. That see so that comes to that to yes, me. that comes from people who do
1: not know basketball. That comes from guys who are watching RJ Barrett for the first time now. If you follow R.J. Barrett, you know that one of his biggest attributes outside of being able to get into the paint at will is his unselfishness. He's a very unselfish player. He he thrives off of playmaking. You don't see too many guys at 6'8 that can score the way that he can and also He Reminds me of a guy like Tracy McGrady. I feel like a lot of people were mesmerized about, or mesmerized by how great of a scorer Tracy McGrady was, but didn't really understand how effective he was in getting other players involved. And I think that uh, RJ definitely has that. So, yeah, for those who are saying that, kill it. (laughs) He's not a selfish player at all. You can say that those last three possessions may have been selfish, but like Sam said, it's hard to consider him that when he was getting to the paint at will. Like, it's not like he was making the wrong plays. He just wasn't finishing the plays. Those That that was the real issue, if we're being honest. It wasn't necessarily that he was making bad decisions. He just he made bad plays. He finished them the incorrect way, basically. But, yeah, man, I feel like that's enough. We spent enough time on the Blue Devils. So, y'all go ahead and eat that up. This is probably the first and most likely the last time you're going to see us talk uh, – about our Blue Devils losing for quite some time. I can tell you that. But let's uh, let's switch gears. Let's stay college, but let's talk college football. Ah, my favorite segment of the week. Lord. For those who have been listening to the Pick and Roll podcast since episode one, um, or should I say uh, the first episode of this particular season, you've heard that my co-host, Sam... Uh, chose Michigan <laughs> to get into his playoffs. Now I've been telling him the entire year, you really think Michigan gonna beat us? Like you really got them beating us. You you got them beating us, huh every time his response was Yeah man, I, I got them. They in my playoffs. They right there. It's time for them to 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 uh get over that hump and finally do what they haven't been able to do in these past few years. Now, not only did he have them beating us, he had them beating us by double digits, might I add. <laughs> now, for those who watched the game, <laughs> it was the the polar opposite. These Buckeyes strung together the best game that I've seen them play this entire season. Now, they at one point in time were up 30 on you guys like it it didn't look close at all it didn't look like Michigan belonged in this game now I say that to say this Michigan which was the number four team in the nation also had the number one defense in the nation number one rush defense as well and Ohio State I, I don't even know what you would categorize it as they just flat-out manhandled and misused that, um, I guess, tough defense that most people in the nation were seeing. Now, my question is, did Ohio State make a statement with this game? And does this game show that Ohio State is ready to make a push at the playoffs?
0: Mm. I just want to say I'm I'm throwing Michigan in, the, uh, in that WBU bucket, that choke <laughs> bucket because they're getting pretty consistent at choking. But uh, I don't know, man. It, the, the pressures the pressures on the, uh, the SEC. We gotta see what's gonna happen in this SEC championship game. But I feel like. It's gonna
1: to be tough between
0: y'all and Oklahoma, or yeah, it's gonna to be tough. Yeah, um, I guess. Did the playoff ranking come out yet? Yes, it
1: did, and uh, what's, Ohio what's State tex- jumped from ten to six. What's
0: Texas? Uh, Texas is t- fourteen. Oh, so now nah, they don't got no shot. No, Even it's over the- for Texas. So, um, what's Oklahoma five?
1: Yes, it's Bama one. Clemson two, Notre Dame three, Georgia four, Oklahoma five, Ohio State six.
0: Because you know, man, can you really count out the two loss Georgia? Yes, I don't think so, bro. You can
1: count. You can count out the two loss Georgia for the simple fact that the other guys don't have two losses. It ain't about the record, though. Baby. I feel like in this case, it is. For the simple fact that it's going to be hard for you to get a Georgia team into the playoffs, seeing as if they get in, they're going to get in as the four seed. So basically, you throw a Georgia team in there, you're seeing back-to-back matchups between uh, Georgia and Alabama, which I don't think the nation really wants to see. For not only um, record purposes, the committee takes a lot of other things into account. um, Seeing as You're not going to take a two-loss non-conference, or excuse me, a two a two-loss non-conference champion over a one-loss conference champion in this instance. Especially not a Georgia. I feel like if it was somebody Mm -hmm. like an Alabama, yes, I feel like there would definitely be a discussion. But there's no way that you're going to choose a two-loss Georgia. A uh, non-conference champion over a over an Ohio State who wins the conference champion or championship, and an Oklahoma over winning a conference championship. These are two teams that have extremely strong fan bases. So, for the simple fact that the committee obviously wants to make a lot of money, the playoff, uh, off the playoffs, I feel like that wouldn't be ideal for them. They wouldn't. That would basically scrap everything because they've shown in recent history up until last year that conference champions really mattered outside of last year and the Penn state year. I'll say, uh, they show the conference championships, hold some weight. And I don't think that any team outside of an Alabama and the an Ohio state has the strength to actually sway the committee into choosing them over a one loss team when they have two. but, My biggest thing with this Ohio State team is I feel like they've shown this particular week that they are ready to make a push for the playoffs, but the thing about it is the committee doesn't judge off of one week. They judge over your entire body of work. So you look at a team like Ohio State who's been extremely inconsistent the entire year. And got a terrible loss. Yeah, they have an extremely bad loss. And I just don't know if they're quite ready to make that push just yet, because we've only seen them play great once. But as I was watching the selection show today, the committee did make a great point by saying Ohio state looked in this Michigan game better than they've seen Oklahoma look in any game this entire year. There has not been a game where they felt like Oklahoma (laughs) has displayed that they deserve to be that playoff team. They just don't have it yet. Now, My rebuttal to that would be the only thing that's holding an Oklahoma team out from being a clear favorite is the loss to Texas, and they have a chance to avenge that loss. So with you avenging that loss, you can't look at their resume and say that they have a bad loss if they turn around and beat the same team again. They're now in a situation to where it's like, what can you say bad about us outside of our defense? I mean, that's really it. And then when you put that in comparison to, to a team like Ohio State, whose defense hasn't looked good outside of last week as well. I mean, what is there really a debate? I don't really think that there is. I feel like Oklahoma, this I feel like that fourth spot, um barring a Georgia upset, that fourth spot is Oklahoma's to lose.
0: I can agree with that. Y'all better just hope. You better just hope. That Georgia does not win because if Georgia uh, wins,
1: yeah, they've already they said that on the selection show. Actually, if Georgia wins, that uh, the playoff is set. It's set. It's already set. Georgia gets in, Alabama gets in, Clemson gets in, Notre Dame gets in. Now, uh, stepping away from the playoff talk a little bit, um, Jim Harbaugh, uh, he has he hasn't been exactly what Michigan has expected him to be. Now, he's had ample time to have his recruits come in and make a splash. The biggest issue that a lot of people said that he had at Michigan was that he did not have a quarterback. He got a transfer in Shea Patterson this year, who is better than any quarterback that he's had since being at Michigan, and he still couldn't get the job done. So, I ask you, is it time for Harbaugh to go? Or, like, How much more lenient do you be with a guy like him?
0: Um, I don't think it's time for him to go. At least I I don't think at a normal school it would be time for him to go. But, I mean, this is Michigan with an extremely rich football tradition. And, really, they don't give a damn what you do as long as you beat Ohio State. Especially at this point when it's been this long. Like, they just want somebody to come in and beat Ohio State, man. He could have bought himself five years <laughs> to be able to just beat y'all. I agree. But yeah, there's something going on there. he's he's got plenty of talent. Oh they, they my up. gosh. They they choke. I don't understand it. You can't put your finger on it. You don't know what it is, but there there's something going on there. But I wouldn't say it's time to go because I mean they're clearly a good football team. They just can't get win the big games. And mm, I don't know cuz at the same time you do got to put that on coaching.
1: Yeah, that's definitely on coaching and like, like you said they have a rich football tradition. So it's not necessarily about them having a good record. It's a it's more about them winning the big games than anything else. So when you have a guy like Harbaugh that you bring in that's so highly anticipated, you have not only one instance but two instances where you come in against your uh rival And your season's on the line. You win this, you get into the playoff. Or you at least have an extremely large chance of getting into the playoff. And not once, but twice, you fail. And both times coming into this game, you were the favorite to win. And you lose both times. First time, it's a bit understandable. Which, I I mean, that's even a bit of a stretch because they had a large enough lead to be able to beat Ohio State a couple years ago when they lost in overtime. But I, that also comes down to coaching. When you, once you have a large enough lead on a team like Ohio State, I mean, it, it's coaching. You, you have to coach in order to beat a team like Ohio State once you have a lead on them. And that didn't happen two years ago. And this year, he just did not have his boys ready and that's something that i completely cannot understand. You get an Ohio State team who has struggled mightily against just about every opponent that they've had this year. And you can't come out and give them a, a game like you lost by almost 6, I mean almost 30 points and they put up 62 points on you. Their second most points that they've put up all year. And They do it against you, a number four team, and their rival. Do you know how great that makes them feel? I feel like as a coach, it's time to look yourself in the mirror. I don't necessarily want to say they need to fire Harbaugh after this year, but next year is his trial run. I feel like next year is it for him. You either step up and win the games that you're supposed to
0: win next year or you're gone, point blank, period. He still got one more excuse in his pocket. He just got Shea Patterson. So, they're going to be like, okay, now you got a quarterback. Because he got one more year, right? He only a junior, right? Uh, that's a good question. I'm pretty sure he only a junior. and um, So, yeah, he's going to get another year with a uh, – let me check that real quick. Yeah,
1: I'm looking it up now. All
0: right. I'm pretty sure he's getting – Yeah, he's year. a junior. Yeah, so, yeah, he's going to get another year with Shea. So, next year – you don't got no excuses. You got your quarterback. You got a whole year in with him. It's, time, it's go time, for real. Like, if he don't win next year, then, yeah. Then it's time for them to be like, okay. It's just – it's extremely weird
1: to me because it's not that Harbaugh isn't a good coach. It's almost just like his schemes against teams just don't – they don't seem like They're right for their opponent. You can't just line up and beat everybody. And man, yeah, like, y'all killed them with crossing crossing routes the entire game. So once you have success with the crossing route early, once a team adjusts, they're already at your mercy. It wasn't hard for us to be like, okay, we can run crossing routes the entire first half. So what we're going to do in the second half, we're going to run zig routes. They think the cross is coming. We gonna go inside bam, we're right back outside with it, and now we got a whole bunch of space up the sideline that's it's all it all comes down to coaching, and I don't feel like you come into a game knowing the speed that Ohio State has, and you just line up and do what you normally do. You can't come into a rival game like that with as much at stake as as there was at stake for this particular game. I don't think that that was the right decision. You come out with a team like Ohio State and get them out of their element. It's no secret that Ohio State has loved cross routes. They've loved crossing routes the entire season this year and last year, whether it be deep down the field or uh, underneath like they did against Michigan. If if you're a coach and you study the game, you know what to expect coming in. So, obviously, Urban Meyer as a coach, he's like, all right, they like to run man. So, obviously, we're going to go to our bread and butter. If they stop it, then we'll adjust, but they didn't come out with any type of game plan. they came out running what they normally run i don't I don't think that that was the, the right decision. I think with a team like Michigan with as much at stake at stake as they had, you come out, you run the zone, catch them by surprise, start zoning them off gate, slow that you know their offense is is high powered. You slow that offense down, make them work their way into that game. And that gives your offense and your defense more confidence. But, I mean, I don't think that it's that difficult as far as coaching is concerned. But Harbaugh is making it a lot more difficult than it it has to be. So, like I said, I feel like this is it for him. You got next year, if you don't do what you got to do, I feel like he's out of there. Facts. Simple as that. So, now – Back to the playoffs. We did discuss – I guess I discussed for uh, basically – I guess, yeah, for for the most part I discussed the most likely playoff outcome. As far as I'm concerned, I feel like the most likely playoff outcome will be Alabama 1 with them beating Georgia in the SEC championship, um, Clemson 2, Notre Dame 3, and as I said, I feel like that fourth spot is Oklahoma's to lose. So, as long as they don't lose to Texas, I feel like they get the nod over Ohio State in the playoff for the simple fact that they've avenged their only loss. And, I mean, this – they don't bring – or that Ohio State doesn't bring anything to the table that they don't. So – With that being the case, I just don't think – I don't think the committee can leave an Oklahoma out. I don't believe so. So, um, yeah, that's mine. I have uh, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma in that order. That's my most likely
0: uh, playoff outcome. What's yours? I got Alabama, Clemson. Actually, no. A lot. I got Clemson, Notre Dame, Georgia, Alabama. Mm.
1: So you got Georgia beating Bama in the SEC championship? Yep. So now I ask you this. If UGA beats Alabama in the SEC championship, does that now show us the formula to beating an Alabama team? Does that mean that Alabama will no longer be um, I guess national champion.
0: Nah, that ain't what that means. <laughs> 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 I still got Bama coming out that bracket. I just feel like Georgia's playing with some desperation. I feel like they they really won in and they know this is their only chance. They feel like they control well, they know they control their own destiny. And I feel like they're gonna get that duck. Okay. I mean, I, I I can't
1: dispute that. I think this SEC championship is going to be everything that we want it to be. I think it's going to be extremely competitive. I think it's going to come down to the wire. I just see um, Alabama making the plays that needs to be made down the stretch to win this ball game. Now, there's been a lot of – for some reason, I don't understand why, but there's been discussions t- – on Notre Dame being jumped and not making the playoff, is that even a possibility?
0: I didn't see it as one.
1: I didn't but, either until it started to come about. Like you start to hear the conversations about it, and it's almost like it's starting. The rumblings are starting to become louder. Uh, how how could that be though? Like I don't by,
0: jumped by who.
1: There's no way nope. I see an undefeated team not making it into the playoffs that's been ranked in the playoff ranking the entire year.
0: Yeah. Uh, I can see if somebody – like, say, if Ohio State was playing number, number six, Wisconsin, or something, mm-hmm. and it was like somebody had a huge boat. I mean, a huge conference game, then maybe, yeah. But, like, nobody's playing it. Like, Oklahoma's yeah. playing Texas. They're ranked, but they're not, like –
1: they don't have a shot at getting to the no, playoff.
0: I'm not seeing – I don't see it. There's nothing left on the slate
1: that could be that big of a resume builder in order to knock a team out.
0: Nah. I don't I, don't, I just it. don't think that, it, that it's possible. Unless maybe y'all just really like Molly mollywop Northwestern, like 70 to nothing or something maybe.
1: I mean, that's possible. But with that being the case, I think that that only allows us to jump Oklahoma. I don't think that that's enough for us to jump a Notre Dame I
0: undefeated Notre Dame at that. Because so what if? So what if Oklahoma win like seventy to nothing and show that they got a good defense? <laughs> I mean, it's outlandish, but I'm just saying, like, it is kind of outlandish. But if that would...
1: if that happens, I feel like that gives them the nod to get in. But if Georgia wins, and I feel like they're still on the outside looking in because they're not going to allow them. For one, if if anybody jumps Notre Dame and Georgia wins, that means they're going to have to jump Georgia and this team. And it's not going to happen. They're not going to jump a Georgia and a Notre Dame or even a, a Bama and yeah, Georgia because Bama Georgia probably win, drops and Notre yeah. Dame will go up to two, one or two. So, I mean – I feel like the only I, – I don't know. I don't think that there's anybody that could get jumped out of the uh, out of the playoff outside of a Clemson. If a Clemson goes to the ACC championship and loses, then I feel like a one-loss Ohio State, one-loss Oklahoma gets the nod over a Clemson team who teams or, I guess, former – not even former. I guess uh, the committee – hasn't been has been extremely high on this year. They don't hold them in the same regards that they hold in Alabama or even in Notre Dame for that matter. Yes, they're ranked above Notre Dame, but I really wouldn't be shocked to see if Clemson comes out with a win and it's not as emphatic as it needs to be in the ACC championship. I wouldn't be surprised to see a Notre Dame jump a Clemson. I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. But, um... Guess with that being said, who would you consider to be on upset watch this week during conference championships, outside of Alabama? Because I feel like that's the clear favorite.
0: Mm, I would say probably Clemson and Oklahoma. I don't think neither will lose, but if you're talking about the biggest chance, we're just talking about con- like playoff. Bound teams, right? Yeah, uh, players, anybody in obviously. general
1: in a mm-hmm. conference championship. I think UCF. Most definitely, that's exactly who my answer was going to be. Seeing as uh, Mackenzie Milton went down with the injury, now we look at a team who, excuse me, was looked at as a juggernaut as far as teams in their conference are concerned. They're now being looked at as. Oh, we can really get them now. The teams are licking their chops to get at them. They're doing all of this national championship claiming and all of this Disney world trips and all of that stuff. (laughs) Teams best believe teams are looking at that. Like, you know what? I got something to say about that. And now I feel like it's more of an opportunity than ever for a team to knock off UCF. So They are definitely my number one team that I see on upset watch. But outside of them, I also have Clemson and, like you said, Oklahoma. And I feel like it's a stretch to think that a team like Texas can beat Oklahoma twice, seeing as Texas's uh, or Oklahoma's um, offense is so prolific. It's going to be hard to – contain a team like that, or even outscore a team like that. So I feel like the odds are stacked against Texas. But if anybody can do it, I've been saying this since he came to Texas, (laughs) I'm big on Coach Herm. If anybody can string together another uh, upset, best believe it's Coach Herm. Oh, by the way, uh, um, USC just fired T. Martin, the offensive coordinator. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, so yeah, that would be an upset that I would look out for as well as Clemson, who I've been saying the entire year, I'm not, I'm still not sold on, I'm not very big on Clemson, but, um, that pretty much does it for our college football segment. Let's jump to NFL before we get out of here. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the MVP discussion throughout the entire year. Early in the year, we had Mahomes and Brady in a conversation. Mm-hmm. Later on, we're starting to see more Mahomes in golf conversations. But one guy whose name is just slowly starting to uh, sneak in is uh, Drew Brees. And I feel like he's not even getting the respect that he deserves. Do you believe
0: that Drew Brees has a legitimate shot at winning an MVP? No. I think he's got a chance to to remain in the conversation, but it's really Mahomes' MVP to lose. I mean, he's got to really fall off. If he has a couple more games like he did turnover-wise against the Rams, then maybe. But right now, I mean, how is it not Mahomes?
1: I think that it's Mahomes at this particular point. But I feel like, like you said, you string together a couple of mistakes that I don't believe Drew Brees is going to make. If Drew Brees continues to play at the level that he's playing at, I feel like he has a, a huge shot at winning it for the simple fact that he's doing stuff this year that, uh, I guess, is an attention grabber. You look at a guy like him who's – breaking NFL records in a year like this, and I feel like breaking NFL records, that's almost like an icing on the cake for an MVP season. I feel like that can definitely bolster your um, chances of winning. But like you said, it also has to be accompanied by Mahomes falling off a bit. And with as prolific as that offense is looking, that's seeming to be something that's not going to happen, but if by chance it does, I would definitely give the nod to a guy like Drew Brees. Right now, he's second, in my mind, in the MVP debate. And reason being is because of the way he's got that, that team click clicking. You look at a guy like a Jared Goff, and yeah, all signs point to wanting to give him the nod, but I don't necessarily believe that he's having an MVP season. I feel like he's having a, a, a phenomenal season, but that's I feel like that is due to in large part who he has around him as far as the pieces. I feel like Drew Brees is the engine that keeps the Saints going. And with um, with the Rams, I don't necessarily believe that to be true about golf. I don't feel like you could just plug any quarterback in right there and have the same success, but I feel like you plug in a solid quarterback right there and you can have close to this type of success with that type of offense and those type of weapons. But yeah, I, I definitely believe that drew Brees has a shot at winning MVP. If Mahone starts to fall back a little bit, but I don't, I don't know if that's, <laughs> I don't really see that happening. Nope. So, um, yeah, I mean, that pretty much does it uh, for our episode. But before we get out of here, uh, you got some locks for us this week. I know you didn't
0: have enough for us last week. You got some for us this week? Yeah, I got them this week. I got uh, I got the Rams minus 10 versus the Lions. I got the Chiefs minus 15 versus the Raiders. Um, Ohio State minus 14, Northwestern. And then uh, Washington minus 5 at Utah. Well, against Utah. Okay, I like that. No NBA picks for us? No, I don't, I don't know how I want to do that since we only – um
1: Since the air
0: dates and whatnot. Yeah, since we yeah. only – once a week. I might have a lot for tomorrow, but we didn't get to talk about it for a week. So, I don't know how – I ain't figured out how I want to do it yet. I might just do, like, some NBA picks or something. Why don't we start doing some NBA pick
1: Yeah, we could start doing that. We could definitely start doing that because these games, will, they'll start to pick up a little bit. Now that we're uh, approaching the end of college football, we'll start to get those weekend basketball slates on TV. So we'll start to pick those up. Uh, so y'all heard it here first. Those are your locks for this week. Now let's get into our pick We only got two games. Number 14, Texas at Oklahoma. Who you got? I got Oklahoma. Uh, the fan in me wants to take Texas, but I don't feel like I can go against Oklahoma. I don't – as much as I – as much respect and admiration as I have for Coach Herm, I don't believe that he can string together another upset against that Oklahoma team. So I am taking Oklahoma. Uh, last game, number one, Bama versus number four, Georgia. I'll need your score and your pick for this one. Give me Georgia,
2: 38-35.
1: You think Fram will outplay Tua?
0: I mean, no. I think Georgia's run game is going to have a lot to do with it. How successful they're going to be.
1: Okay, I can respect that. Um, give me Bama by a score of 3828. Oh, double digits? Double
0: digits.
1: 3828.
0: I'm not even going to sit here and act like I'd be surprised.
1: I just feel like I think it's going to be close. Like throughout the game, but I think that Bama will—they'll pull away at the end. I feel like Bama will have like maybe a three-point lead, and they'll be, you know, trying to salt the game away, and they'll end up scoring to close it out. You know, end up winning by ten. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a a, an emphatic double-digit win, but I do—I do think that they'll win by double digits. So.
0: That's our picks
1: man. That that pretty much does it for our episode. Is there anything else you want to say for the people before we get out of here, Sam? No,
0: nah, that does it for me.
1: That pretty much does it for me too, man. Y'all make sure y'all tune in. Um make sure y'all look out for our fan poll of the week. If you guys have any suggestions as to what you think our fan poll should be, feel free to hit us on Instagram. Feel free to hit us on Facebook. Uh however you guys see fit to let us know. We're always open to <clears throat> hearing what our fans have to say. One of our fans reached out to me not too long ago and uh, said that they think we should do a, a top throwback jersey list and see uh, what our fans think is the best throwback uh, throwback NBA jersey of all time or throwback sports jersey, period. So that may be something that we do here soon. But as I said, just reach out to us. Let us know what y'all want, and we'll we'll do it. We appreciate you guys for tuning in. Uh, Our listens, our streams, and everything are going up weekly, so we appreciate y'all for that. Just keep tuning in and keep sharing us all over the place. Signing out. It's your boy Ish. And it's your boy Sam, man. We appreciate y'all. We out.